on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. The beer business is interesting because either you self-distribute or you go through distributors. And so all of a sudden you have these people who are very much a part of your business, who are your customers. And as much as they say, oh, it's your business, you do whatever you want to do, you kind of got to get on board. So yeah, yeah. a little different than some, some other structures. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Got the wonderful queen, Megan McKay, here on the King stage. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you. Sun shining, blue sky. What, what else could we ask for, right? Not much. <laughs> Like, I, I so appreciate that perspective. We say inside of Gathering the Kings Mastermind, grateful but not done. And so we're grateful for that sunshine. We're grateful for being up early here on a Monday morning, but we're definitely not done. That's what we're going to talk about here today. So, Megan, tell us what kind of business you guys have. Yeah, so I own Peace Tree Brewing Company. We're a small brewery in Knoxville, Iowa, and then we have a tap room in Des Moines. We're a production brewery, so we distribute all over Iowa and Nebraska and then have two tap rooms. We produce, you know, world-class beers at we have a root beer as well and just, you know, try to connect with customers both where we are and, and out over at the state. So yeah, had a lot of fun with it over the last 13 years. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm, unfortunately I'm not your client, but what I do know, and I was telling you this before I hit the recording button is that when I think about what you do, I just think of like, you guys just having a great time, you know, you're crafting this concoctions of different kinds and different flavors and and almost like mad scientists in the back, like figuring things out along the way. And so I don't know if how true that is, but that's what my brain goes to. Is that is that somewhat of a of a right depiction? Yeah, I think it is. It's, you know, it's interesting. When we got in the business, you know, 13, 14 years ago, it was very much um, brewer focused. You know, people would just make what they wanted to make. And there was a lot of creativity and spontaneity and everybody's kind of throwing stuff at the wall. You know, really the antithesis to kind of big mass produced beer. And I think, you know, as the industry has grown and changed, we're seeing more money come in, more pressure to kind of, you know, get the spots on the grocery store shelf, that sort of thing. So some of that has sure. been kind of squashed back. And I think it's it's one of those where we're always pushing to find that balance between like creative, you know, brewers who just like to throw stuff at the wall and running a really process oriented business where we can meet the demands of our distributors and our retailers. So that's right. It's it's a fine line. Yeah. But it. It's, I think that's where the, the interesting part is too, that tension between the two. Yeah. Well, and I think actually what you just described is a growth point or a pinch point in a business, specifically mm -hmm. yours. That's just the description of it. You can, you can stay small and creative and local to that next level to go to distribute distributors or vendors or, or retail space. Like it just requires a different level possibly. Yeah. It's just a different mindset. You know, you, and, and the beer business is interesting because either you self-distribute or you go through distributors. And so all of a sudden you have these people who are very much a part of your business, who are your customers. And as much as they say, oh, it's your business, you do whatever you want to do. You kind of got to get on board. So yeah. 
yeah. a little different than some some other structures. Yeah. Well, I think that it likens, and we're going to have a great conversation around this, I'm sure, but it likens to you know any business owners that are listening right now that have already built a big business or for the ones that haven't, it's the same, you know, separation of just, you know, a little bit of flying by the seat of your pants, being creative, doing whatever you want versus, mm -hmm. okay, well, we've graduated a little bit here and we want to go to the next level and there's some more systems and process and and regularity in a business as opposed to just a local thing. Yeah. And, you know, one of my, one of my employees put it, I think, really well a while ago it was kind of like when you do impose that structure and that process and everything around it, you can actually free yourself up to be more creative and have more fun. That's because, right. you know, the train's running down the track and you don't have to worry about the P's and Q's because they're done. It's how we do it. And, and I have Good. found that to be true, even though it's a little counterintuitive. Yeah, it's 100% right. It, it's the freedom in discipline or it's the freedom in routine. And yeah. that gives us that confidence or room for creativity. Megan, I want to ask you, it's, it's the same question I asked at the very beginning of every podcast. You've been doing this for a while now and you've had a certain level of success. You've got all this stuff happening inside the business. You're in different, you know, places putting your brand. Why are you still doing it? Or what's the bigger picture? What's like that deep seated, like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, at the end of the day, I am not a brewer. I'm not on that creative side. So I think people kind of look at that and go, what, why are you doing this? You know, it's a lot of work. It's yes. challenging, et cetera. For me, we we started Peace Tree because we bought a building. I was in the insurance business for a long time and in my hometown, fourth generation business owner. And we bought a building across the street that nobody was touching. It was full of crap and just looked terrible. We decided to develop it. Nobody rented it. And so we said, you know, we got to we got to figure this out ourselves. We're going to have to be the creative people here in this, in this small town. And. My dad, who was my business partner at the time, walked through and said, what about a craft brewery? You know, he read something in the Wall Street Journal. And it was like, yeah, none of us really knew a lot about craft beer, but it hit all the marks. So, you know, our passion was how do we develop a small town? How do we breathe some life into building community, showing a, a path toward entrepreneurship? How do we create tourism? How do we create a point of pride? How do we have a place where it can increase the quality of life for us? You know, a place to take clients, friends, to hang out socially, you know, after work. It's not maybe just, you know, the, the bar. And so that was really in the beginning. It was just about, you know, creating this kind of catalyst for connection and development. For me personally, when I was in college, I never knew what I wanted to do. And I took a personal development class. And of course, you have to do your personal mission statement. And probably the most clarity I've ever had, but it was really about making work better for people at the end of the day. We spend so much time at work. We spend so much time with the people we work with. Yeah. And I think it really leads to good family life. It leads to good communities. When people are proud of the work they do, it shows in every other aspect of their life. And so yeah. I think that's the more personal piece for me is like, how can I make a great place where, you know, we can employ people, give them development opportunities and Hopefully, you know, either they stay with us and grow or they leave us better than when they came. So yeah. kind of a combination of those two things. Yeah. And then we the, make the beer. So that's fun. Yeah. As I say, you can't forget the fun part. Right. Exactly. I love the ripple effect, not only just in you doing the thing that's special to you, but then also being able to watch other people grow. And then that the effect that has on their family, like that, that three layer there. It's not just you and your family doing cool stuff, but it's also bringing somebody else in. And then their response to their family looks different because of the time that they spend with you. I just think that that's very, very high level. 
And I hope that the listener is paying close attention to what you're saying because it's it's really impactful. Even if even if that piece doesn't motivate the listener, maybe like it does you in the deep seated why, it should still be part of the thought process as they're building a business because goodness gracious, do we affect people, especially the ones that work with us? Yeah, for sure. And it's yeah, it doesn't have to be my why. It's gotta be theirs, but it's but it is so important. And I think, you know, the past three years or so, you know, with COVID and everything that's happened through that, it's a great example of why you've got to have that kind of deeper push because otherwise it's it's easy to give up. And so if you're just in it for the money or you're just in it for something a little more surfacey, I think that leads to less ability to stick with it and have that tenacity to, to get through it. So yeah. it's been important to me. I agree. Okay. Well, tell me, you gave us a little bit of the story there as far as like how the business came to be, but go back a little further. Your fourth generation insurance. I mean, that's a big deal even in itself. Give us a little bit yeah. of your upbringing. You were obviously in a an entrepreneur's home. Like, tell us about it. Yeah. I grew up in Knoxville, you know, and small town kid and moved away for a while and thought, you know, I'll never come back to Iowa, much less Knoxville. And then fast forward and all of a sudden, I'm in business with my dad, fourth generation insurance agent. And, you know, it was good. We, my dad was, was very entrepreneurial. And I, I think, you know, a lot of times third generation is where businesses die. And, and to his credit, you know, his first thing he kind of always told me was if you come in and somebody says, this is the way we've always done it, that's probably the first thing you then start looking at changing or at least examining and seeing if that's really a good reason or if there's some other way to do it. Right. Right. We had a, a uh, big book of business in bicycle events all over the United States and Canada, which was really weird for a small town, you know, home auto light business insurance agency. Right. So, you know, I got a lot of that kind of creative business thinking from him and, and kind of ability to maybe follow your passions and do something, even though you're in the confine of a certain business, do it a little bit differently. Right. So good role model there. And like I said, we, you know, I was back in the insurance business about 10 years and we decided buy this other building, develop it. And um, fast forward three, four years later, my dad was ready to retire. My husband, who was also my business partner at the time, and I had split up. And so, you know, we worked together for a couple of years and then dad was retiring. Scott and I needed to figure something out. And I decided to not stay in the family business. So I sold off the insurance portion and I bought out my partners in in the brewery and kept going forward that way. And I think, you know, looking back at the decision, I'd, I'd probably be financially better off and play more golf and all those good things if I stayed in the insurance business. But I was really interested in building something. You know, the insurance business was going to stay there. It was going to perpetuate well-established. Whereas I felt like brewery, it was kind of at that point where none of us had worked in it full-time as far as the ownership. And so it really needed somebody to just roll up their sleeves and figure out how to take it from the next place. Yeah. Or it was probably going to get sold closed or moved or whatever. So for better or worse, I dug in. Yeah. I love I love how you gave the picture, maybe the the flip side of the coin of, yeah, you could have gone this way. Mm-hmm. But what I heard in that answer was that maybe there wouldn't be as much fulfillment. The building piece, the actually getting, you know, rolling up your sleeves that you talked about. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that, right? Like, and that's probably what happens over the generations is that, you know, information gets lost you know, desire gets lost if money is available, you know, all those kind of just like it becomes regular. And then eventually you have somebody that's just like, you know what, throw it all away. I want to start over or, you know, I want to build something from the bottom up. There's a uniqueness to that. Is there, are there like, as this is played out in the brewery, have you realized that there's like a 
superpower that you have inside of this a little bit? This, Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, and it's one of those where maybe I get a little frustrated sometimes because everybody's not coming with me and like, go do this new thing and keep doing and keep going and changing. Yeah. And then you kind of look around and go, yeah, everybody's not built that way. And right. you kind of forget that a little bit. That's right. And, you know, you need those people around you who who maybe don't want to do that. They kind of want to keep things the same and, and keep pushing along. So, again, it's kind of that delicate balance of pushing and pulling and respecting where they are and understanding what their goals and needs are yeah. and yeah. trying to make them understand my side of it, too, so that we can both, you know, meet our, our long-term goals and visions. Yeah. But yeah, well, you said it, it is interesting. That sure. that that's a relationship balance that you're talking about with maybe a super high driver and maybe maybe it's not that they're not driven. It's just that it's just not at the intensity because I work yeah, with some great just, people and they just have a different dream. That's all. They just have a different dream. And, you know, some people and, and I appreciate this. I sometimes I wish I was a little more that way where they just kind of work to live versus live to work. Right. You know, I was kind of built. I like to work. I that's a it's a good hobby for me. I, I like to be productive. I like to achieve things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think other people, it's more like, yeah, I'm proud of the work that I do, but I just want to leave it there and then go and do my other side stuff. Yeah. 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 I love you said it. It's a good hobby. It's like, you know, some people leave work and then go do their hobby, maybe golf or whatever, like you mentioned. Uh, entrepreneurs, we leave work and then we go work. Um, because that's mm -hmm. what we love to do. And I think for the spouse piece of that, like I'm just I'm just resonating with you totally. Like we mm -hmm. we're one in the same mind for yeah. all of this. And then I'm thinking about my wife and and it's taken us years, obviously. We've been married for 15 years this year. So it's like this is not a new conversation at this point, but early on it was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just one after the other, you know? So well, and my my current partner, Brian, you know, he he and I are a lot of like that way. We're both pretty ambitious people and we both yeah. you know we've done the strengths finder sure uh, yeah. yeah and achiever is like our number one thing so usually if it's not one of us it's the other one like hey we should do this next hey we should do this next and then we kind of have to have that check-in and go wait a minute let's just take a weekend and we have to like leave and go somewhere so we will stop and even then it kind of comes back to like what can we do next or what can we build what can we change right so i don't know it's yeah. just how we're made and exactly good but it can be a little exhausting yeah I, the the same realization, and I'll share this for the listener because I think that entrepreneurs are like us to a degree, with varying degrees, of course. But yep. there was this realization in my in my identity that I was a builder. I wasn't mm -hmm. a business owner. I wasn't, you know, my first business was Edible Arrangements franchise. I wasn't a, a husband. I wasn't a dad. I'm a builder. I love to build. I love to get in there, construct, and and see something happen, and then project's done. On to the next. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you understand that's who you are, then then you can express what that looks like inside of the business, inside of the project, inside of the relationship. But the flip side of the coin there is that, you know, like it's also okay just to like sit down for a second and take a breath. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as I get a little older, I'm I'm learning to do that more. I think the other thing, and this is kind of a, a woman problem in general, we're terrible at delegating. So not only do I try to be the builder, but then I try to be the one who right. keeps it going. And yeah. I've had to really examine, you know, how I do that and say, okay, I've got to find people around me who are better at yep. managing. Cause frankly, I am a good builder. I'm great at crisis management. I'm good yeah. at figuring out like, here's the essence of what's going on. I'm probably not really good at running a business day to day. So yeah. working through that. Yeah. There's, it's a different, it's a different skill set to, to grow sure. or to maintain. 
and there's different skill sets that are needed to manage people and to manage projects or to manage vision. So I think that all of those things make a lot of sense for what you're saying. I hope the listener is getting some value in that. I want to go into, I'm happy to go insurance because you were there for so long, but in this craft business, I want to know of a good decision that you made that you can look back on. You go, "Mm, yeah, that one right there. We'll do that one again and again and again. Yeah. A few years ago, I went to the Craft Brewers Conference and it's our national organization. And you can imagine it's a lot of fun, kind of packed with a lot of different information. And, And there was a gentleman who was there from full steam brewing out in North Carolina. And he stood up and he was kind of talking about like, what's next? And we're about the same age of breweries. They're a little bigger than we are. But he talked about this book, Traction, with Gino Wickman, which is, it's, you know, it's kind of like so simple, it's silly. But I I got out of his thing, his seminar. I read the book. You know, I had it ordered and it was there when I got home. And we've implemented that. We've self-implemented that. And I think that has been a really great decision because it, yeah helps me communicate with my staff. It helps get everybody on the same page. It helps give me that framework to kind of keep everything moving in the right direction. That's right. You know, and and before that, I think I just was kind of wearing myself out, trying to wear all the hats and get everything done and not really having that that process and framework. So that's probably one of the best decisions. We're certainly not there. We're not done with it. And that's kind of what the beauty of it is too. There's always, you know, just when you get good at this level of something, you move on to the next piece and level up. That's right. I Everything that you just said makes perfect sense. And I hope that the listener orders that book and does everything that you just did. What I want to point out for them that was underneath that, that I heard is that you went to a conference and you heard it just like they just did. They mm-hmm. potentially just heard about traction for the first time, or maybe they've heard about it before, but they haven't acted. What you did is that you heard it, you ordered it. So that way, by the time you got home, it was there. You picked it up and you read it. Yeah. And then you implemented it. And although, like you said, the program's simple. What you did, even more simple of just hearing, taking action, taking a little bit more action and implementing, so simple, but everything cruxed on you, hearing, ordering, reading, doing. Yeah. And I, and maybe that's not exactly the right tool for everybody, but it's, I think the point is find something and do it and then just keep going. But yeah, it's been and a good a good thing for me personally developing and and our team developing. Yeah, I love that. What about the other the other I guess negative this would be a bad decision. Megan, what did you guys do that we can learn from and stay far away from? Yeah, you know, we have we've always been a super debt heavy company and I think, you know, if I was going to structure that differently in the beginning and then, you know, when I bought out my partners and I think it was a little bit of that like I don't know if you call it ego or whatever else, but it's just like I had to do it myself. I, I couldn't ask for help. And again, I think it was like trying to prove my own way. And that's probably held me back a little more than I would like to admit from the standpoint of I'm not a real sales focused person, you know, to go out. I, I'm doing it. I, I can. I'll get it done. Yeah. So, you know, if I would have maybe gone out and found an investor or partner who would kind of complement my skills that way, I think... Mm-hmm that was not a good decision to just kind of go it alone. And I probably should have gotten more help earlier on. I think we can still do it. I think, you know, it's, yeah. there's still time to be there, but I wonder if we haven't missed out a little bit of that great growth time in the craft beer industry because we were limited on expertise and, yeah. and funds. Yeah. The expertise and funds potentially could have come like what you said through the partnership. And so 
<clears throat> do you think so for the listener right now, I just want to I want to take what you just said and and see if you can give maybe the younger you some advice, but they're listening right now and they feel like you did, like which is like, nah, I'm gonna do it myself. <laughs> we all yeah. felt that way at some point or another. But what you know now is that well, potentially if I had found the right partner, right balance of skill set, we could have filled in the blank, whatever type of growth. So what would you say to that person listening right now that feels like you did five, 10, eight, you know, 12 years ago? Well, I think the big takeaway is it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to partner. You know, and again, I think a little bit of that, and I, I hate to make it a, a man woman thing, but I do think sometimes there's that like, if we ask for help, we're seen as weak and we're already seen that way socially a little bit. And so it's yeah. even harder to reach out and ask for that. Yeah. So I think it's really about just making sure you're keeping your options and eyes open to explore what partnership opportunities might come, that sort of thing. Right. You know, in the other way, you know, I can argue it both ways is like, I'm really glad I did it this way. I don't have to worry about, you know, breaking up a business partnership is hard. It's it's just not good. It's not fun. And and it's not always because anything terrible happened. You know, it's just maybe you've got different visions or different timelines or, you know, somebody gets tired or bored or whatever. So I think there's pluses and minuses. And it's I try not to look too much in the past and second guess. But I think if I did have to tell my younger self, it would be, you know, at least be open to it and have the confidence to know that it's okay to have someone come alongside you. It doesn't mean you're yeah. not good enough or not making it. It's yeah. just, we all, you know, exactly what you're doing with this podcast and with your groups. Yeah. It's finding people who compliment you and can help you get to the next place. And so yeah. I think that's important, yeah. but it takes some humility and openness too. Yeah. That's the exact key actually. Like, Quite literally, yeah. you spoke to the ladies. I'll speak to the gentlemen listening because it's the same for for guys that are supposed to have it all together. You're supposed to be the provider. You're supposed to, you know, forge the trail and and take care of your family and all the traditional things, as you mentioned. Like, well, it's just as hard to ask for help because you got an ego because you've been told that you're supposed to do it all by yourself. So yeah. I think that you, Amigan, have given us not only the depiction for the for the ladies, but really just in general, humility in general. or going, you know what? Like, hey, I need some help. Yeah. It's so hard for people. Yeah. yeah, it is. It it really is. And it's just, you know, it's again, it's kind of that networking and, and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, you just do what you can with what you have, right? Yeah. Well, and, and you have that by yourself, right? And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of small town, you know, or or regular Joes like me, it's just like, well, just it is what it is and I'll just figure it out, right? Yep. But when you start understanding the leverage that you can pull from relationships, of course, knowledge, there's a lot of things you can pull leverage from, but specifically we're talking about help. Well, usually help can come from another person, although it can come from knowledge or some sort of a training of sorts, but or maybe a podcast. But this individual or this group of people, if you can, if you can leverage the relationship, which means that you share, you're vulnerable. And a lot of times that's what happens, even inside of our own groups, where it's like someone comes looking for maybe some practical things. Okay, fine. Over the course of time, a relationship happens and you realize, wow, this person is just like me or they're dealing with the same thing I have or vice versa. And you really start like taking large strides because you already have like secret information that you didn't have to like, you know, fumble on because you got it from from this right here. Right. A lot of, a lot of great benefit there. What, uh, what about decisions? Like we've talked good and bad decision. What kind of process do you have? Something comes across your desk. You have a four-step 
you know, magic formula for making good decisions? What does that look like, Megan? Yeah, I don't. You know, I really, I always, at the end of the day, and I think it's it's part of that, like, especially when you have to have hard conversations or you are trying to make a hard decision, I always try to look at what's best for Peace Tree, you know, because it's going to be, well, this would be good for this person and this might be good for this person and this would be good for me. But what's good for Peace Tree in general? You know, does it move us forward? Does it fit within our values? Does it drive our core purpose forward? Does it add value? Does it make sense? And is it something we want to do? You know, if we don't want to do it or we feel... So we dabbled in the seltzers a little bit a few years ago, right? During COVID, of course, you know, we were ready to launch those and COVID happened. And, you know, I could feel that kind of like, I just don't know if this feels like a craft beer producer product that we should be doing. Yeah, They didn't do well. And, you know, part of that was probably because in my gut, it just didn't feel good to me. I think there were a lot of other things too, but so yeah, I'm I'm very much a, you know, how do I feel in my gut about it? So I'd love to tell you there was some magic formula in a spreadsheet that I have it all. But I think a lot of it just comes down to, does it feel good? Does it make sense? Does it add value? And does it meet the needs of our our business first? Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you. How, for, for the devil's advocate listening right now, and they're like, well, you know, what if I've, I went with my gut and it didn't work out? And then, now, so now you know, they're kind of like waffling on their their gut a little bit. I'm sure you've done the same thing, right? Where you're like, oh, "Oh, that bit me in the, don't feel right. The last, you know, couple, three years have been terrible. And my, my confidence is very much shaken. You know, between COVID, I had quite a bit of staff turnover. My longtime brewer left, our second left. You know, it's just been a lot of things one after the other where you just go, man, do I have this all wrong? So I think that's where then I had to double back down. And so for me, the process is the traction, the entrepreneurial operating system, you know, really digging into, do we have the right core purpose? Do we have the right vision and values? Do we have the right 10-year target? You know, and that one's been really hard because things have changed a lot. And then really, you know, kind of measuring it against that. So really just going back to that stuff that we spent a lot of time putting together that felt really good and then going back and measuring it against that. And then of course, you know, obviously all of the financial metrics or whatever else you would need to decide if it's adding value. I do think having that kind of big picture guiding vision is is helpful for that decision-making process. Yeah. And even when your confidence is shaken, go back to it again. Go spend yeah. some time with it and get real with it. And, you know, you'll know. Yeah. Yeah. The honesty of where you're at or where you've been over the course of the time since COVID is is real for a lot of businesses, number one. Oh, yeah. But for the person listening right now, I hope that you can see that it just because you've made it to maybe a certain level of revenue or success or tenure doesn't mean that things just like are all of a sudden peachy all the time. This is real entrepreneurship right here. It's it's totally real. I mean, and it's I think it's kind of a cliche, but I always say it. It's like, you know, you're hiking in the mountains and you like, oh, I'm going to get to the top. And then you're like, that's where I need to be when I'm there. That is success, man. I am. I've made it. And you right. get there and then you look up and you go, oh, crap, there's a whole nother part. Like, I am totally not there. And there's rocks falling down at me. And, you know, now I have further to fall. And so then you get to the next peak and then it's, you know, same thing. Oh, I now there's a whole nother peak. Plus, I'm far, farther up and farther to fall. So it's, yeah. yeah, I'd love to say that at a certain point you just go, done, man, I did it. But back to our earlier point and conversation is that's not our makeup or our mindset. 
Like I'll probably never be satisfied and I'll drive everyone around me nuts with it, but it's also what keeps me pushing. And, and the world is going to change around you. You know, your customers change, your competitors change, you know, the product, you know, if you look at craft beer and, and the way products have changed over the past 10 years, holy cow. So if you're not always pushing and changing and growing, you probably should do something different. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that analogy of the mountain. Not only have I have I shared that, but I'm an elk hunter. You know, uh, mm-hmm. going to go to the go to the west every year. I'm you know bow hunting with my dad. And and the, how many times you're like, okay, we're just gonna we just gotta get there. And you get there, and you're like, this is not even close to the top. Oh my goodness. No. But it's in that moment in business that you gave to us where you realize, like, okay, I got more on the line, more to fall. You know, I realize that I, I'm not there yet. And that can feel, you know, whether it's overwhelming or, you know, just a lot going on there because you're like, oh, like I thought I made it. Yeah. Some of that is perspective or realizing that there's most likely the next place is a false top. So eventually you just get into the rhythm of going, well, that's where I'm headed now. It maybe isn't yeah. the end. Like you said, it's just who I am. I'm always going to be on the journey. It's completely fine. I start embracing the journey, which then gives you the ability in that moment when you get to that false top to look out. And enjoy the vi- the the view because you yeah. get you got a great view. Like just and that's a great point. And I think that's one thing you know that you do really have to stop and kind of celebrate and look back and think. And I I'm not very good at that. I will tell you. Neither am I. But I I think that is so so important to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a perspective. It's grateful but not done. I told you that just a few minutes ago, right? Like that's exactly yeah. what that is. It's grateful. We can sit down. I can I can pull out my cliff bar. And I can get refueled before the next charge up the hill after the elk. But man, we got a good view while we're sitting here. This is pretty cool. Yeah. All right, let's go to the speed round here, Megan. In my all first right. question, it's all about KPIs. What is the one thing inside of your craft beer business that you would track if you could only pick? You know, it's probably, I had a really hard time with this one. And I think this is where I struggle in my business in general because we've got distribution, we've got production, we've got two tap rooms. So there's a lot of different things going on. But I think at the end of the day, I've got to have revenue growth because that will tell me it gets my volume up, which helps me spread out costs. It makes sure my tap rooms are healthy. Um, it seems really cliche and really boring, but if there was one number, that's probably it, you know? Yeah. yeah. The rest of the business falls in order based on what, what that number tells you. And for and you, the- I mean, you've, go ahead. I was going to say, we track a lot of other things that are more, because that one feels like it's very much a looking backwards, you know, you, it's sure. it's not always real time. So we do try to track a lot of things that are a little more forward looking, you know, like number yeah. of count visits for our salespeople or, sure. you know, how are we doing on different production metrics? But if you had to choose one, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got work to do there. I mean, thank goodness we don't have to run our business from one KPI, but there is generally a you know, a button or a, a pulse, right? Like I want to be able to, I want to be able to put my finger on the pulse and, and have a pretty good idea of what's happening inside the organization. And I think sales is a, a pretty good answer there. What do you think about a book or like some sort of a resource that you would recommend for a business owner trying to go to the next level? Yeah. You know, again, I kind of go back to the traction book and I hate to just use that again, but I think the nice thing about it is it's Gino Wickman that wrote it. I don't think there's anything original in there, but it, points you back to lots of great reference materials inside of there. You know, you want to work on your vision. You want to work on your core purpose. You've got Jim Collins, good to great. You know, it it just had little pieces where, okay, if this is the area where maybe I'm not doing as well, it'll point you 
kind of in a place to start digging a little further and a little deeper. So I've, I've used that one a lot. It's actually sitting on my desk here while I'm traveling because I'm getting ready for quarterly planning. Awesome. And again, you know, if you kind of trust that process, I think it, it really helps. Yeah. Love it. Okay. What do you think about intentionally networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs? We talked about kind of like this idea of getting like-mindedness, but what are your thoughts? I don't do it as well as I should, but it's always valuable. You know, again, just it's a lonely place. I think when you're a small business owner, when you're an entrepreneur, your friends don't really get it. Your social life suffers because of it, because we're right. all in, you know, it's, right. it's you've got to kind of be doing it. So when you can get together with other people who are going through that same journey, I think it's so valuable and it'll help you, you know, identify maybe, oh man, I'm really not good at this, but I just met somebody who is, and this is how they look at it. And you can, you can really use that to enhance your skills. Yeah. That first piece. I mean, I think we all know it, but I think it feels a little, you know, frou-frou to say, well, I, I need, I need entrepreneur friends, you know? Yeah. Cause other people just, they don't get it the same way. I wish they did. And I think that's where, you know, especially with my, my female friend group, I don't really know. I don't really have other business owners in my traditional social circle. I've made other women, you know, in business friends, but it's not something they're thinking about first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the first filter, you know, for an entrepreneur. So everything yeah. else looks maybe a slight bit different. And so, and which kind of leads me into my next question, which is kind of how you've done obsession. You've obviously already described yourself as a pretty all in obsessed individual. And that's how you've been successful in business, but that's also how we're successful in family. And so my question for you around family, I mean, you're, you're traveling right now because of family. Yep. So talk about how yeah. you've been able to do both obsess in both areas. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that was something even growing up, you know, watching my dad in a small business, he was Often our soccer coach, he was always at events. My mom was really supportive. And so, but it might mean that then he has to go in and work on Saturday morning. Right. Well, you just figure out how to kind of have that balance. You know, there's going to be times when, you know, I, I am going to leave work early to go to my son's baseball game or, you know, take a conference call while I'm watching golf or whatever he's doing. And then I'll put the time in some other time. But, you know, and I think that's, at this point, you know, that I've got kind of my son goes with his dad sometimes and with me sometimes has actually been a great benefit because I can be kind of all in on family when it's time, when it's time. Um, make that a huge priority because at the end of the day, it is to me the number one thing. But then there's other times when I can say, you know what, I'm all in on my business. And I yeah. think compartmentalizing that, even if you don't have a situation like mine, can be so important and understanding, you know, when when to have that flow and when to turn off work. And, you know, sit down with your family at the dinner table or go play golf or do whatever you want to do. And then other times when you just need to say, all right, family, I really got to get this project done. I need some support. And it's just communication and not letting any one thing pull too far in any direction. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, that description. That's great. I got, uh, I got one last question here for you, Megan. You ready? All right. If you could whisper in the younger Megan's ear. What would you say? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I'd just whisper that you're doing fine and keep going. You know, I think we doubt ourselves a lot. And really, when you kind of look back, it's like you're doing the best you can with what you have. So just keep pushing. Keep going. Yep. Well, the message there is not only true, but I think right on for probably one of the listeners needed it today to probably get through. So I appreciate that. 
How can the listener enjoy some of your craft beer? Where can they find your stuff? But also, where can they find you if they want to pick your brain and get to know you a little yeah. bit? Yeah. You know, Peace Tree, we've got tap rooms in Knoxville and Des Moines, Iowa. So that's the, at the source. We're distributed all over Iowa and Nebraska, most grocery stores, liquor stores, a lot of bars and restaurants. And then uh, virtually, you know, if you want to find me, I'm on LinkedIn, both under my name, Megan McKay, and, and at Peace Tree Brewing. I've got Facebook, Instagram, all those good things. So I don't think I'm very hard to find. There you go. Well, you have been incredible. Thank you for, even though in the midst of travel and being with your son and the hotel, all the fun stuff, you were great here today and vulnerable and sharing. We wish you nothing but blessing in your family and your big business that's, uh, that's taking yeah. another, another shot at the, at, the, uh, at the top of the mountain. Always keep climbing. For Thank sure. you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.